Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Tim Arroyo. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. All right, why don't you uh, open up your Bibles to Luke 15. Um, before I get into the message, uh, we are going to take a moment to pray. How many of you guys have been praying through your Take 5 cards? Yeah, some of you. Okay, awesome. If you weren't here last week, uh, we started an initiative. We have never done this, as Jamie uh, articulated last week, as a church. We have never done what we're about to do uh, in the month of December leading up to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Come on, y'all. We're a two-Christmas two Eve service church now. That's how we get down. It's awesome. I remember when we used to do that service and there was like 15 people that would show up. And now we got to do two because we got to now. Look what God's done, you know? And uh, we're having a, a really incredible, intentional initiative to get this message that Jamie is personally like feasting on before the Lord, this revelation, Adam alluded to it today, God is here. He's here and the table is set to enjoy the goodness of the Lord. We actually have been um, filming. There's a few people in our church. We've been filming their testimonies to have them be interlaced with Jamie's messages for three weeks. And we're going to intentionally put out a charge to us to bring the lost to church. And uh, we, we've never really done this before as a church. We've never, we're just the crazy people that we just worship and we worship, we encounter God and whoever comes, comes and the Lord will market it and blah, 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 blah. But man, we feel this pressing from the Lord as a team to start being intentional about putting the story of God into the region and putting it out through you guys getting out and actually drawing people to you that then draws them to here, right? And so we did these take five cards where we put three names on them of people that we want to see get saved, that are, that are prodigals, that are unsaved, that, that, that we are like desperate to see come to the Lord. And take five means you take five minutes every day to pray for them. So what I want to do before I get into my message, I want us to take a moment and pray. Can we do that? And I just, you know, I said it in the first service, I am a radical believer that God answers prayer. That prayer is powerful, that it's effective, that God's word won't return to him void. So when his word comes out and it gets in you and you return it back to him, that there's power, it doesn't negate the need for obedience, just like in Luke 18, when he talks about the unjust judge and the, and the widow who's crying out, crying out in prayer day and night, gets the answer. But then it says, but when the son of man returns, will I find faith in the earth, right? So we know that there's a response to prayer, but nonetheless, there's prayer, Amen. right? Amen. This is not my message. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> so we're going to pray that God would start to move in the hearts of people over the next few weeks and that we're really not interested in trying to grow Kingdom Life Church. We want to grow the kingdom. We want to see God get more of his kids back. Okay, so let's pray. 
Some of you, if you've got your take five cards out, you even want to like get after the names of the people on your cards, you're more than welcome. Father, we ask this morning that you would begin to pour your spirit out on all the unsaved, the prodigals that are attached to us. Father, the ones in our families, the ones in our workplaces, come on, I can't pray for you right now. Just go ahead and lift your voice and begin to cry out, Jesus, we ask for a harvest of souls to come in for the next few weeks. Lord, we ask, boldly we ask for a harvest of souls, one, through the love of Christ, causing their hearts to believe unto righteousness. Father, I pray right now that you would begin to lift the veil, the beauty of Jesus, that you would reveal the beauty, the holiness of Jesus, the worth, the centrality of the person of Christ as God alone, that the gospel would be clearly displayed and preached. God, lift the scales off of people's eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, man, what an exciting time. I mean, I got like 20 minutes. Let's do it. Yeah, I can. I can do all things through Christ who gives strength. Are you at Luke 15? You know, in this season with us doing the, the take five cards and like opening up the doors of our church to the region in a greater way, trying to set a table, you know, it'd be really easy to just stand up here and try to create like a the charge or some kind of like, let's go get a message. And that's beautiful. And that's awesome. I do that a lot. It's one of my favorite things to do. But I feel like right now in this season, what's most important is that when we're doing this initiative and we're reaching out to the community, that we are deeply rooted and connected to the nature of Christ in the midst of it. That as a community of people, we have a deep bond and connection to the redemptive nature of God in Christ Jesus. Y'all here? And so this morning, I want to look at a portion of scripture that, to be honest, we all know and we all can infer its meaning because we are familiar with its context. We know in general what it's trying to speak. But to be honest, there's two things. There's layers of revelation that have the ability to impact us on a deeper level, get greater understanding of what Jesus is saying in this story. And as we read, you're going to find it's actually really important how you read yourself into the story of the prodigal son. Okay? You ready to just read the Bible real quick? All right. Verse 11. And actually, before I do that, the context of this verse is at the beginning of chapter 15. It says, And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus, near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You're darn right he does. Darn right. That's one of my favorite scriptures because it's the complaining of the religious that they accidentally prophesied about the nature of Christ. In your face. (laughs) And his response to their grumblings that Jesus Christ, this man who claims to be holy, would actually eat and dine and receive sinners And so he spoke this parable to them. 
And there's a parable of the lost coin, which is beautiful. It's a similar message. But we're going to the parable of the lost son or the, or the prodigal son. So a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so the father divided to them his livelihood. Imagine being the father in this moment. Worked your whole life to build up an inheritance, to build up a business, an empire, to give to your kids for their good stewardship. And this knucklehead kid comes and you know he's not about to do something smart with what you've given him. Right? This father knows inherently that this son is not about to do something to make him proud with the inheritance that he has worked his whole life to give him. Yet it says <laughs> that he divided to them his livelihood. That's pretty incredible. It's the nature of Jesus. Now, I should say what we're looking to find here in the Father is the nature of Christ himself. And often when we read this story, before I go any further, as I said, it's important where you read yourself. And so commonly, and this is what we should do, we read ourselves as the prodigal son, right? And honestly, if, if, if we're really honest, we don't really do a good enough job of doing that. Here's what I mean. For us, we often believe the prodigal son is a picture of somebody who chose to leave the father's house, live in a season of rebellion, and we're wanting them to come home, right? These are prodigals to us. But the biblical definition of a prodigal is actually quite different. So we see here, so he divided his livelihood, and then not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a faraway country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And then we had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. The definition of being prodigal is being a person who spends or has spent his or her money or substance with wasteful extravagance. A prodigal is defined as being someone who is given so much and then they waste it. Maybe the door of being a prodigal is open a little wider than we thought. I mean, we see this moment. It's a reflection of the body of Christ being broken as an inheritance, this moment where the father divides what's his and gives it to the son. And the son takes and wastes life. Like, have you ever been in a season of your life where the breath that God has given you, the beauty of the time on this earth, on this side of the cross, the opportunity to live in love-soaked obedience to his name, and we've actually spent his time on our own thing. Y'all ain't never done that? <laughs> Jesney? And this is not a shame thing. 
This is quite simply us being able to look at the word and realize, whoa, 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 I actually need to read myself into this story. And I'm actually missing out. I might be the person that really never had an outright rebellious season of my life, that maybe never stopped going to church or left the faith. But friends, there's a little bit of prodigal in all of us. There's a little measure where we've been given great inheritance and we've spent it on ourselves. Now, why is that important to denote? It's important to denote because we need to read ourselves into that story so that we can actually enter into that Luke 7, 47 reality where it says, he who was forgiven much loves much. And if we can't read, if we're so like self-righteous that we can't read ourselves as the prodigal son, we're actually gonna miss out on an experience with the forgiveness of Christ that produces a love that 1 Corinthians says is the only thing that makes you worth anything in this life. You see, 1 Corinthians doesn't say, if I have not love, I have nothing. It says, if I have not love, I am nothing. <laughs> I could prophesy, I could preach, I could lead worship, I could lead a movement, I could lead companies, I could lead ministries, I could be a good parent, I could be a good husband or wife, I could be a great friend, I could be all the things. But if I have not love, I have nothing, I am nothing. And if I don't have a revelation of the depth of forgiveness that extends from Christ into my sorry behind, then I'm going to lack a revelation of the love of Christ. Now, I said it this morning, I feel like the church misses out on the revelation of forgiveness because we never had to experience in real time what life was like under the law of the Old Testament. A written piece of paper that tells you if you disobey your parents, you will be killed. That tells you to have God not kill you, you have to do specific sacrifices and go through all these different things so that the punishment and the wrath of God, because he's literally just this boiling thing of anger, just waiting to get poured out on you. And if you can just follow the letter of the law, you'll be safe from his wrath. Imagine the relief being alive at that time before Jesus living under the letter of the law. And then he comes and he's resurrected and you believe. And all of a sudden you don't actually have to do that stuff anymore. Friends, this is the reality that you live in. You were bound and a slave to the law, even though you weren't alive then. You were bound and slave to that law. And then Jesus Christ set you free and he fulfilled the law. There is a depth of gospel that needs to infiltrate our hearts and our minds to produce a thankfulness because we've been forgiven much. Friends, we are the prodigal son. Make no mistake about it. I don't care how squeaky clean your life is. It's you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's, it's me. It's me. Look at me. Look at your neighbor and say, it's you too, though. Stop being so prideful. Stop being so prideful. 
You got to read yourself into this story. So it says, verse 15, he went and joined himself to the, as a citizen of another country, and they sent him into his, into his fields to feed swine, to feed pigs. And he would gladly had filled his stomach with the food that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Rock bottom. Just woof. Anybody ever been there? There are people that are there right now. Did you know that? There are people right here, right now, within a five to 10 mile radius of this building. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now this is what you could call it a religious spirit, I probably call it an orphan spirit will do. When you feel like you have used up the reserves of God's forgiveness, you will try to lessen your position of relational equity with him to just get a little closer to his house. Surely I couldn't return as a son after what I did. Because with people, when we hurt people, they put up boundaries. Surely God's like everybody I've ever met. So I'll go back to his house, not because he loves me, but because I'm dying. We see those people all year long. We haven't seen them in a long time. And they're in that rock bottom place and they walk through the doors of this church and they feel like they, they can't walk in as, as family anymore. And they walk in and they're immediately like, I wanna get, you know, I wanna get involved, I wanna serve, I wanna, can I join the usher team, can I do something? And it's beautiful, like we celebrate that to an extent. But there's this feeling of actually gonna earn my way back into this family. And I'm actually gonna return to the church, I'm gonna to return to God's house as a slave instead of a son. And I'm gonna take a lesser seat at the table just so I don't die, because I probably will die if something doesn't change. There's people like this right now. Here we go. And he arose and came to his father. Come on. All he did, even in his lesser thinking, says he came to himself. Moment of realization, I'm at least going to go towards his house. God, it's got me in the first service. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's just going through the speech, you know. I'm actually convinced that um, 
that he was actually, because if you look at earlier, it says, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he, it says, make me like one of your hired servants. I'm actually convinced he was about to say that. And then God interrupted him. The father interrupts him in the story. Like he's, he's mid cry, you know, mid sob story. And he doesn't even acknowledge it. Uh, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. We're going to go like 10 minutes over today. I'm sorry. There's a difference between a father who sits stoically watching you as you kick and claw your way back to his house and waits till you made it all the way to your destination and a God who leaps off the porch and meets you while you're a long way off. He pursues you. It's always so weird when the worship, they're like getting your sermon. I'm like, dude, I'm about to preach this. Stop. (laughs) But go, but go. It's good. It's good. He's actually pursuing you. He's actually looking at all those people I just described in that five to 10 mile radius, whatever mile radius of this church that are in that rock bottom place that are just now coming to themselves thinking, well, maybe I can be like one of the hired servants. And the moment they're a long way off from the house, God Beelines it to them. And what's the first thing he does? <laughs> he fell on his neck and kissed him. The first thing God does is he establishes heart connection through affection. Now, why is that important to denote? Number one, it shows his value system. It shows that he was always more interested in having his son's heart than his son's good behavior. You know, that's how God feels about you. He's actually more interested in having your heart than having your good behavior. That's because he knows if he can get your heart, he'll get your behavior. Why is this also important to denote? A lot of us will go through seasons, we'll even go through tough days or tough weeks where we're really living prodigally. Like we're really just like wasting the extravagance that God's given us. We've just had bad stewardship of our lives. We've had tough seasons of compromise and we've all been there, right? Like no one's perfect in this room. You know, we just go through these, these tough times and, and, and we'll have the moment where we'll turn to Jesus and we'll turn our affection, our attention back to him. I'm here to tell you if the first thing when you try to approach the Lord isn't affection that recreates intimacy, then it's not God. You see, inside of yourself and all the faculties that God uses to speak to you, your emotions, your imagination, your sense of intuition, perception, right? That place of your, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding. In that realm, you've got your own voice, your own head, your own thoughts. You've got the voice of the enemy and the accuser, and you've got the voice of God. And sometimes it can be hard to tell which one is which. 
And so this is a clarifying moment that when you, in your difficulty, in areas of compromise in your life, when you finally hit that moment where you start to beeline back to God's house, that he runs and meets you right where you're at, and he starts by throwing himself on you and kissing you. And he, and he creates a place for your heart to be open to receive his love. That's where he starts. I would, I, would, I would say to you that if you hear something else, that it's either your own insecurity or it's the voice of the accuser trying to keep you out of his house, trying to lie to you and say he's not like what he's like. <sighs> he reconnects his heart through affection. And then what does he do next? He puts on a robe. Now, this is not a small act. This robe, it reestablishes him as a son in the family. This robe, it had its own color. It had its own unique uh, artistry to it that was a visual display of a place that you have in the family. So he now gets returned to him in this story, the benefits of being a son in his father's house. And he's brought back into the fellowship and community of his family. Immediately. Immediately is brought back. You ever been in an environment where maybe you did something wrong and you feel like you're gradually brought back? into the community of fellowship? Or worse, have you been the person that gradually welcomes people back into family and fellowship? You actually can't carry self-preservation and the love of the Father at the same time. The father was not protecting himself from the son in this story. He was not protecting himself from being disappointed and let down again by this knucklehead kid. For all we know, five years later, this kid went out and did it again. We don't know. That's not the point. But again, remember, we need to have this experience with God. We need to have this experience where we feel in these moments of compromise when we're prodigal, we need to feel God reestablishing our identity as a son in his house immediately. And then he gives him sandals, says, put sandals on his feet. I'm convinced, you know, I, I, I just remember like processing with the Lord and the Lord told me like, what would happen if, if, if you stepped on something and it injured your foot, like it, you wouldn't be able to walk. You wouldn't be able to actually move forward in your life. And it represents God putting grace on the areas and protection on the areas of your life that are most vulnerable to trip you up so that you can actually walk forward. You know what else? Slaves didn't get sandals in the house. And this is another statement of him saying, you are not a slave, so here is grace for you to walk out your sonship. This is my favorite. He gives him a signet ring, puts a ring on his hand. In scripture, 
Presenting a ring to someone was a great sign of affection. Again, establishing connection through affection. This is the nature of God. It is also a symbol of being placed in an office of authority. Pharaoh removed his signet ring and put it on Joseph's hand when installing him into Egypt. That's Genesis 41. And in the book of Esther, the king took off his ring, the royal signet by which the decrees of office were signed, the decrees of government were signed, and he gave it to Mordecai. Listen to this. The ring showed Pharaoh's affection for Joseph and the king's affection for Mordecai and transferred to them all the power and authority necessary for the promotions they just received. You're restored as worthy of affection. You're restored as a member of the family. You're restored in your ability to walk out your identity and sonship. And now you're empowered to walk out your assignment to change the flipping world. This is what God did with Peter. After he first cuts off the ear of the Roman guard and Jesus rebuked him, he lived by the sword, you die by the sword. Just bam, right his face, rebuked him. And then the Lord's taken away, he's crucified and Peter betrays Christ. I mean, the one that, the rock of the church that we're all supposed to be built on, betrays him three times. And the worst part is Jesus has been taken and has been crucified, so he doesn't even, in his mind, have a chance to reconcile and repent to him. But we all know he didn't stay dead. (laughs) I just got to put that in there. I just got to put that in there. (laughs) And there's a moment we see in John 21 where Peter's back to his old life. He's back to fishing. He's not doing the work of an apostle and leading the living way, this new way. He's fishing. He's back to what's familiar. And he sees Jesus on the shore and he jumps out of the boat to it. Jesus makes him breakfast. It's funny, but it's beautiful. This is their first interaction since he betrayed him. And what does he start to do? He starts to pull on what's true inside of Peter. You know what's true inside of Peter is that he loves God. He says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus knew the answer to that question. He didn't ask that because he didn't know. He knew. He was asking that because Peter needed to be reminded. You're not a fraud. You do love me. Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. And in that moment, in the, in the wake of Peter's greatest betrayal, the Lord, in his continual nature of redemption, pulls love out of Peter and restores him back to his assignment to feed the sheep, to lead the church. You know, that's what God does with you. He doesn't just restore you relationally. He restores the empowerment for you to walk out your assignment of revival in the earth. 
you know, you can't ever lose that call. It might change, it might shift. Oh, the kids are going crazy. That's awesome. A bad time to take a pause. <laughs> the moment Adam's down there like, let's go. Y'all, six kids got saved last week. Side note. Amazing. What's the last thing that the father does in the sequence of events? He throws a party and he kills the fatted calf. What does this mean? This is God's heart of celebration. You realize you're not another chore for him to accomplish. You are the fulfillment of his greatest longing. When sons come home, he doesn't go, God, finally, glad that got taken care of. He says, kill the fatted calf, throw a party. My son was dead and he's alive again. This is everything I've ever wanted. And the celebration and the revelry is over the top to the point where it causes a self-righteous older brother to get upset. And we see in this story, where'd we go, where'd we go? Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house as he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him saying, what things, like what's going on? I don't even know what that says. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, speaking of the brother, and would not go in. Look at this. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. Again, The son, the older son now, is off in the fields, far away, steeping in his self-righteousness. And what does the father do? While he's a far way off, he goes out to him. Different disease of sin, same revelation of the nature of the father. He's the father that goes after the broken and the Pharisee. Ha! So he answered and said to these fathers, Lo, many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, notice the the disownership. Not my brother, this son of yours. It's evil. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You know, in essence, he wasn't mad that his son came home. He was mad that he was so wildly celebrated. I'm not going to celebrate what you've done to get my brother back because I was faithful and you never threw me a party. I'm not going to take on your redemptive nature and attitude because all I can see is what you haven't done for me. But God, just like he did with the younger son. Verse 31. I mean, in my mind, I'm ready to be like, boy, I swear to God. Damn. 
you self-righteous, prideful. Help me, Lord. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, even you, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. He establishes heart connection through affection. And he reminds him of the truth of his inheritance. You have me and all that I have. And in verse 32, it says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. Don't disown your brother. We should make merry. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. What the father's saying is he wants partnership. You remember how earlier I said it's important how we read ourselves into this story. We need to read ourselves as the prodigal son because we need to know what he's done for us. That he put his arms around us and he kissed us. He put the robe on us. He gave us the ring. He gave us the sandals. He threw a party for us. I mean, he does it for me weekly. He goes through the whole progress over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's important that we take this time to read ourselves. I think it's normal for us to read ourselves as the prodigal son. And we really don't want to have ourselves read as the older brother. Right? I don't want to read myself into a place where what's happening in my life is that I'm actually so obsessed with what I feel like God isn't doing in my life that I can't even celebrate and actually take partnership with his nature. In this season, this holiday season, there could be a temptation to actually not be active about this word of God is here getting out to the community because we're looking and say, well, what about me? I would go to church. Don't do that. (laughs) Partner with his nature. In this season, here's my final point. What I'm asking you to do is to read this story and I want you to read yourself as the father in this story. Partnering with his nature and being a vehicle for his redemptive process in the prodigals that are around you. You know you can do that. I feel the sense of like, what? Jesus, of course Jesus is the father in this story. But as he was, so are you in the earth. It's all about partnership with his redemptive nature through you to the prodigals, to all the people that have been given so much. Amen? Amen. Is that okay? Why don't you stand with me?